The Guardian. Cephalopods. Cuttlefish, squid and octopus. Those twisting, magical, morphing ocean dwellers. Weird, yet strangely captivating. If you go to YouTube and search cephalopod, you're met with a flurry of examples of these strange and clever creatures. But at the top of your search, you'll find a TED talk by an academic called Roger Hanlon. And he's, he's an expert on cephalopods. It was this academic that our guest today was so beguiled by as a young assistant professor. And I happened to walk into this talk and he was showing these amazing videos of just things you wouldn't believe could be happening in real life. Like basically an algae-covered rock all of a sudden transforming into an octopus in real time. And I just kind of sat there with my, you know, with my, my jaw dropped. Because of that, I essentially dropped half the research that I've been planning on working on and decided to focus on this, on this area, on trying to develop materials inspired by, uh, by these remarkable animals. Decades later, biomolecular engineer Dr. Alan Gordetsky and his team made an extraordinary scientific development. We're not going down Invisible Man route just yet. Not, not, not yet. I, that's, <laughs> I, I think that's what drives me. Whether we can actually do that, well, that remains to be seen. I'm Nicola Davis, and this is Science Weekly. Hi, my name is Alon Gordetsky. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Chemical and Biomolecular Engineering at the University of California, Irvine. I mean, these creatures have, have fascinated humans and scientists, as you say. They, they seem to have these remarkable um, abilities, including their ability to camouflage. How do they achieve that? How do they, how do they manage this sort of optical switch? So they have this absolutely amazing skin. They have multiple types of, of cells or organs, um, kind of like what you have in your skin. Uh, that, but, but they're unique because they can... Uh, change their color, uh, they can change the way they transmit light, they can change the way uh, they reflect light. Uh, and when you put all these cells and organs together in this soft, flexible, uh, almost semi-transparent skin, you, you have this, this system that, that works like, like a living display. And, it, and it's almost more advanced, I, I would say it is more advanced, you know, than anything that we can make when you put all the pieces together. This display can change texture, it can change color, can change brightness, and it just allows the animal uh, to do all these amazing feats of, of camouflage, of, of signaling that, that really aren't rivaled by, by anything else. What's the most amazing thing that you've seen from these creatures? Well, I think the most amazing thing that I've seen is their ability to mimic an object that... Or, or, or a situation or a pattern that they would not have ordinarily encountered uh, in, in the wild. There's some very famous videos uh, of a cuttlefish kind of emulating a checkerboard pattern. And it, it's just so remarkable to see that. So the transparency that you describe, I mean, sometimes people have talked about that as essentially making the animals invisible, but 
is that hyperbole? I mean, invisibility is a strong word. Invisibility is a very strong word. Uh, So I would characterize it as the ability to change their relative degree of transparency. And this is common in in actually a fairly large number of animals. There's there's examples of, of frogs that have you know, clear body or clear skin. Uh, there's there's butterflies that have clear wings. In in many instances, it's advantageous to be partially transparent, and that's the case, for example, in the in the deep ocean. And so, uh, some of these animals have been studied by a wonderful scientist at, at Duke University, uh, Sanka Johnson, and he has shown that they can expand organs that they have in their skin from um, tiny little points to large plates, and that effectively allows them to change their transparency. Another scientist, uh, Dan Morris at the University of California, Santa Barbara, uh, he also showed that uh, this unique type of female uh, uh, squid can change a stripe uh, on its body from opaque too transparent by changing how specialized cells reflect and transmit and scatter light. So there's different mechanisms they use to achieve this effect, but what's really unique is the ability to tune the degree of transparency for cephalopods. Because if you can do that, you can almost disappear and reappear uh, within the context of your background. And that's one of the things I I find fascinating. So let's look at, at your recent paper. So this was in Nature Communications. Um, and I, I can't pronounce the name of this squid you were looking at. Perhaps you can help me out there. Uh, Dorytuthus opalescens. There we so go. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm notorious for hacking the names up. So sometimes my students give me uh, a, a, a little ribbing about that. So, so this, this wonderful creature, it's a, it's a kind of squid. Uh, what were you looking at there? What, what were you trying to learn from this squid? Uh, so it, it goes back to the example of, of this squid having a, a stripe that it can change from uh, opaque to semi-transparent on its mantle. And we drew inspiration from the cells that make up this stripe. And these cells have little particles in them. And they're, they're, not, they're not exactly like the cells found in your skin because cephalopods cells are fairly unique. Um, but it's like it's like having little balls all around its its periphery, and they're made of this protein that's uh, very unusual, and it's called reflectin. And we've been working with this protein for many years and trying to develop materials inspired by it. And so what we found is we could take the same protein or, very, or almost a very similar one, and then introduce it into mammalian cells, and those would form the same types of particles that you actually saw in the cephalopod skin cells. So that was really remarkable. And what was the the more interesting part is then they changed the optical properties of the mammalian cells and altered how the mammalian cells would transmit and reflect and scatter light. And then we found uh, beyond that that you could tune the extent to which these cells scattered light and that would in turn uh, change their transparency. So why would you want to make human cells transparent? I mean, I imagine it being see-through would be pretty long way down most people's lists of, 
<laughs> what they'd like. Uh, you know, what's what's the benefit of doing this? So for me, just from a scientific perspective, it, you know, it, it, it's kind of exciting to to install this really unique capability in, in, in mammalian cells. And, you know, and I'm a huge uh, science fiction nerd, science fiction buff. So, you know, there's, there's a, a, a little bit of that flavor in, in that, that's in my research. Uh, but from a practical perspective, there's a lot of challenges in biotechnology and in medicine uh, associated with trying to understand how cells work and how they function uh, within the context of organs. And it's very hard to make living cells or living tissues transparent enough for certain types of work. So this will be a way to match or change the properties of a cell with respect to its surroundings and and potentially understand uh, how it functions and understand the overall biological system better. So that's one potential application. Now, I, I won't say we're quite there yet, but we're, we've taken the first step in that direction. I mean, that sounds fascinating, but obviously, you know, looking at one cell is quite different from looking at, you know, multiple cells in a tissue, um, particularly where you've got depth issues to think about as well. Is, is, is it possible to create tissue that's transparent or are we only really talking about an individual cell level here? So we've, we've taken a step towards that where we showed that you could have a similar effect in a cell culture over a large area um, where you could uh, tune its transparency. But, but you are, you're right. That is a, a long way from having a tissue that can achieve this, this global effect. So, but I think it should in principle be possible uh, with, of course, with a, with a lot of effort. And you think, wow, this is, un, you know, it's, it would be so hard to do this. It's, it's almost fantastic. Uh, but then you, you see these videos of, of cephalopods doing that routinely, nonstop, in real time. And you start to think, well, maybe it's not that crazy after all. <laughs> and I mean, what is the next step? You know, you've, you've put these uh, proteins into cells. You've been able to control their optics. So one of the most important uh, next steps, whenever you're developing a technology, you really want to have the basic understanding of how everything works and why to, to kind of control it. So really getting a better understanding of the structure and assembly of, of this protein that we use as our, as our material to build these particles and cells. And you know another step will be to see what the potential limitations of our approach are for other types of cells, uh, potentially, or also for just controlling where these particles go uh, inside the cell. And, and then that can allow you to move towards the more, more advanced, more out there applications. Obviously, a, a key thing here, as you mentioned earlier, was the potential for this to allow you to look better inside living cells because there are already ways to prepare dead tissues to, to look at them better. So I just wondered, you know, do, do we know, is, is this safe to, to inject into people or is that, is that still, again, a step too far ahead right now? So I think there's a lot of concerns or, or, or ethical concerns right now about you know genetic engineering, and and I think the the safety has yet to be vetted. Um, 
we found that in terms of the survivability of the cells, they seemed pretty similar to non-engineered ones. So it, it looked reasonably safe. Um, but you know, I I honestly would not would would not be trying this on my own skin. Um, so, <laughs> so, so so I think I think that may give you a a good benchmark. So we're not so, yet in the realm of HG Wells. We're not we're not going down Invisible Man route just yet. Not, not, not yet. I, that's <laughs> I, that's the thing that gets me uh, excited and 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 motivated uh, to do to do work sometimes, but. <laughs> Yeah, but but I think there's some years of effort before we get to that stage. So hang on, is invisibility, like invisibility of an actual person, is that the ultimate aim that you really have? So I, I try to steer clear of, of, of saying that directly in interviews because it makes me sound, uh, let's say, a little little, little out there. Um, but but let's, say, let's just say that that's the inspiration for me as, as someone who loves you know futuristic science fiction and, and, and stories like that I, I think that's what kind of drives me um, whether whether we can actually do that well that's that's that that remains to be seen or whether it's actually truly possible in that way and is there more to learn from cephalopods I, I think they're they're an endless playground uh, for scientists. Uh, many of the most important discoveries about uh, neurophysiology or how how the brain works really started uh, in because of cephalopods. I, I just think what they do is very very far beyond um, what what we can do with kind of the most advanced technologies. So that really gives you. A, a benchmark in nature against which to to compare what you're developing. Thanks so much, Alan, for joining us on Science Weekly. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I appreciate you having me. Special thanks to Alan Godetsky. If you want to read more about how Alan and his team carried out their research, we'll include a link to the study in this episode's description at theguardian.com. We'll be back next week with a coronavirus episode. In the meantime, I want to draw your attention to a live event that my colleague Hannah Devlin is hosting this evening, Thursday the 18th of June. She'll be talking with Professor Andrew Pollard about finding a coronavirus vaccine. To find out more, head over to theguardian.com. We'll see you next week. Until then, goodbye. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.